This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each and every week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. And uh, a great card this past weekend, but especially great for you, Joe, because one of your pupils, Malcolm Gordon, got his first UFC win. Uh, I know it's been a rough road for him so far in the UFC, but he, he really brought the fight to uh, Francisco Figueredo, Figgy Stalls, as I call him, and, Stalls, uh, yeah. and uh, get, gets the win. Yeah, no, he did very well, and it was, uh, I keep saying, like, this is the kind of fight I wish Malcolm had in his debut, um, it, because it kind of showed a little bit. And the thing is, I mean, yes, he's win. Yes, everybody's excited. But he said it the best, and I have to agree with him in his post-fight. Like, that wasn't the best Malcolm still. Like, we're still seeing someone getting comfortable in the bigger leagues. We're still seeing someone develop into a UFC fighter, getting more comfortable. You got to think, like, even the local Canada scene, we didn't have these huge names. And now he's going against international world killers. So he's just finally now i think settled himself into the position of being a ufc fighter and i he was one of those guys who didn't even want to put he was a ufc fighter on his bio until he got his first win he goes so now i think he officially calls himself a ufc fighter which uh you know means a lot to him obviously well, that's a great mindset to have to not anoint yourself until you get that first win but yeah, uh, yeah what he did is very difficult because when, when you lose in the fashion that he did in those first two fights you become, you kind of have a scarlet letter. You you get kind of relegated to being this fighter that's just there to put people over, basically. And I, and yeah. I don't think that that is a fair assessment of people that make it to the UFC, but it's something that ends up being, you know, kind of a false reality that's created. And you, people need to remember that. Like, I, I had, uh, there's one fighter that I, I said, whenever this guy fights, I think he's going to lose. It was, um, and he won, he won in the last year. He had like a five-year layoff, a heavyweight, whose name, okay. for, for whatever reason. UFC was, fighter, though, right? Yeah, UFC fighter. Uh, why can't I remember the guy's name? He's, um, yeah, well, either way, he had like a four-year layoff and he was just losing all of his fights. And, and he came back this past year, last year, and I was like, well, you just got to fade this guy. And he won, right? Because yeah, you, you, yeah. you create this illusion around these fighters that they're just there to help other people boost their name. And that's just not the case. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, when I first heard of the matchup, I didn't know about Figueredo's brother, but I just associated him with the champ brother, you know, like being like, oh, he's got to be as good as the older brother. And they're trying to just throw Malcolm to the wolves. Like, what is this? So when I started looking at Francisco Figueredo now, I was kind of like, I get it. This is the fight for Malcolm. This was perfect fight for him. Um, and, and it was the tactics. And I mean, I'm not going to take away anything from uh, Malcolm and his because uh, Malcolm for this camp, it was if you look at his last fight, he fought a lot of snipers. And I still believe Sue Maderji is going to be one of the champions. Mm -hmm. I think that kid, the way he manages distance and, and the way he evolves, I think he'll be a champion. I think even Albazi is going to be a top contender in, in the top five. He's the, both guys he fought are going to be in the top ten very soon. Um, so he didn't really get a true test and no full training camp. So this is the full time he got to work full grappling. And when he was working with me, everything was closed. So we only had limited amount of grappling he can do. So this camp here, he went, I didn't really, I didn't work with him at all. This camp, it was all focused on him grappling, grapple, 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 do more grappling. And you seen right off the touch, he shot right away, which is the, the Malcolm. I think people need to see is that grappling monster. Yeah, absolutely. The fighter I was thinking of is Jarjus Danho. I don't know why his name oh, his name came to mind, but he's a guy that I think he took four years off, and uh, I, I just expected him to lose his fights. And 
he proved me wrong. And, and I think you what go. you're saying is right. You have to look at the level of competition that they fought and, and who they're losing against before you can really judge that person, right? Before you yeah. can judge them as, uh, as that fighter because sometimes a fighter is only as good as their competition. And if you and I, I didn't think that much of Francisco Figueiredo. I saw how he fought. I, I knew yeah. that he was kind of a lower motor fighter, and that's not something that uh, Malcolm Gordon has ever had a problem with. He's, he's a guy that, has, that, that will beat guys that stand around. Because he's yeah. always doing stuff. He's always he's always doing damage. He's always uh, looking for openings, and that's the kind of fighter that uh, does well in those kind of situations. There's another one this this weekend. A guy uh, who's fighting Darren Elkins, Derek Minner, this weekend. There's another one of those guys. Just always going for stuff. Always going for stuff. And eventually, sometimes he'll, you know he'll get it. He's just high motor, and he's always he's an aggressive fighter. And I think that yeah. that's how Malcolm is, and that can be his downfall too. When you look at those two fights that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean. The only one thing I got upset with in that fight, and it broke my heart, was hearing Dan Felder say, not one of these guys threw any low kicks. And then my heart just went, because you got to think, I worked two years with Malcolm. I did two years with him, working his kicking, his striking, his distance. And I kind of, I'm honest with it, I didn't really see his striking of the two years of basics I gave him unfold nicely. So that kind of hurt me a little bit, seeing not one kick. I was like, come on, Malcolm, give me one kick, please, man. One low kick for me after so many years of uh, of working and timing and developing it. So I got to give him some crap for that. Not one for me. <laughs> not one the entire fight? Not one. Not, I don't think any guy threw it. And, and I'm going to look up Francisco the stats. Francisco threw one body kick. Not one from Malcolm. Not one. I was just just one, just one quick one, just to smack the leg and just for me, you know. That's U- all I want. UFC stats break down the striking per round. Let's see, let's yeah. see. Uh, Zero significant strikes. Let's see. Leg four for four for for Malcolm on leg kicks. Apparently, no, he did it. Based he didn't throw one. I didn't see one. Based on the stats, I, I'm just going by what the stats say. No, I don't think there was one low kick to be honest with you. Okay. Well, you, maybe you have to watch it back, which I'm sure you have already. No, just the one time. Really? But Felder okay. said, "Not guy has one thrown one low kick." Two in the first round. Two in the uh, one in the second round, one in the third round, a hundred percent completion ratio. Okay, well, if that's the case, but no, I didn't see any being thrown. To be honest, I don't think he did. I think the stats are off. Maybe the, Francisco threw four to the body, but I didn't see Malcolm throw one. Yeah, I know Francisco did for sure, but not Malcolm, because uh, some of the game plan was like I still sent him what I saw, and I was like, use your straight punches, use them nice and long versus his kicks, which was snapping Buddy's punch uh, head back every time. And then the other thing, uh, we call it, uh, they don't use the Q anymore, but we called it the Mark Hominick, using those blasting straight punches that Malcolm's good with. And, uh, yeah, he did good, man. But the, obviously the, what the game plan was is just don't stay on the feet and grapple, grapple, grapple. Yeah. And it worked. And even even still with the, the striking, he landed he threw, sorry, he threw. landed more total strikes than Figueredo threw. So he landed oh, yeah. 100 strikes and Figueredo threw 70, right? So yeah. that, that's it's what I'm saying about motor. Like Malcolm's going to have a good time. Like, if he can keep getting matched up with kind of lower motor fighters, I think that's where he yeah. will really excel. Yeah, I agree with you. And, I mean, I just think it's getting him a few more of the right ones before we throw him in against those big guys. And it's it's a it's a matter of stylistic for him. I mean, you know, like a good rangy striker is going to be hard for anyone. And that's why I think Sue is going to be great. But I just wish Malcolm had this his first fight and then he would have a little bit more confidence. Because if he would fight Albazi now – Hey, that's going to be a totally different fight with the confidence, both weight classes. He's been his grappling so much. And you have to think it's like when he was training in his first two fights, it's like me going into the biggest fights of my career, only grappling. Mm-hmm. It would be like, but I'm a striker. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I know I need to work on this area a lot, but 
Malcolm is one guy that lives on the one side of the spectrum. Like he's put all his eggs in the jujitsu basket that it's kind of hard to like want to him to improve the other side because one side's so dominant. It's like me being a striker in the UFC. Why would I start taking people down all of a sudden? You know, it's be like, it doesn't make any sense. So I think Malcolm's the opposite way. And I think that's the way he's got to approach his career. Just keep shooting for legs. And you see guys try to overcorrect the steering wheel. Like, remember when Demian Maya was just striking for, like, he had that stint where he was, like, four or five fights in a row was just a striker? He just yeah, wasn't. Yeah. And even Rodolfo Vieira this it, past yeah. weekend, he was striking for most of the fight. It didn't, like, the first round, I don't think he even shot for a takedown. And this yeah. is, like, a world jiu-jitsu champion. So, I don't know. People got all over me because I thought that Stoltzfus won the first round against Vieira. I'm like, what are you watching? And Stoltzfus yeah. landed double the amount of strikes. I yeah. don't know. I- People get yeah, mad at, can... like, close rounds that they have scored a certain way if somebody else hasn't scored the other way. Yeah, I don't understand. But, I mean, when you put your tweets out publicly, you're asking for it too, right? And they get on the broadcast. So, but, yeah, hey, on the broadcast. And then, bring it. And bring people the are listening heat. to the announcer. Oh, look at that stiff jab by Vieira. Look at that stiff jab. Meanwhile, Stolzfus is piecing him up and landing double the amount of strikes. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't want to uh, loom on Don't even get me started me. with how low kicks aren't even talked about in scoring, you know? So those are just a lot of times they well, don't we... even count them. We'll get to that when we talk about Bellator a little bit later on. But there you uh, go. <laughs> the main event of uh, UFC Fight Night this past weekend, Islam Makhachev defeats Thiago Moises. Uh, fourth round submission. Uh, my TSN edge picks were uh, Islam winning in the third or fourth round. And uh, came through. Plus, I think yeah. it was like plus 1,600 for him to win in the fourth round. So uh, whoever Damn, was tailing that TSN. Listen. TSN edge was undefeated this past weekend. We, uh, hey. we, we hit our dart of the week and we hit our three plays. So uh, yeah. if, you're, if you're not uh, getting on, on the uh, TSN edge train, you should get on it. Yeah, I got to start using your picks because uh, the other event I got sponsored by a, a betting site. So I had to put some bets out for the Connor fight and I went 0 for 3. Not hey, good. You're welcome so no to one's going to trust me. No one's going to trust me anymore when I put my bets out now. So I got to start really, you know, focusing now on my picks. You got to sit in a, uh, a cold basement, dark basement and just break down tapes, throwing those and v- that's VHS it. tapes and break down Old tape. school. Yeah. Not even, even those film reels. Even get something even older. Yeah. Who knows? Let's go. I think unless you're like completely obsessed with watching tape on fighters or whatever, you're better off just going off feel. You just like you look at the matchup, you, yeah. you take what you know about the fighters, and you go with it. Go with the your odds. Guts. Make it fifty-fifty. Don't right? overthink there's it. There's a reason it's fifty-fifty. Exactly. If you want to make more money, there's more risk. You know, if yeah, you want to kind of make a little bit money with less risk, that's your decision. It's well, like the stock market. Those who are week, risky are going to take that plus money. My three and O of my three and O, I think two were underdog plays. I'm trying to remember who my third play was. So I had Quarantillo, who was an underdog. I had Morozov, who was an underdog. And then I'm trying to remember what my third play was. Uh, oh, it was Vieira by submission, which was like minus 100. So like yeah. very, uh, you know, good, good value plays. That's what I'm always after is like, you know, people will say, oh, you went two and three. But if you go two and three and you're picking underdogs, you're up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I made a little money. I, I can say it now. I I picked uh, Malcolm by decision. I knew. So I got wow. rewarded with that. What was that? Like yeah. plus 500? Yep. I knew that. You got to think. It was like I knew Malcolm was going to grind him. I knew the pressure. I believed in him. So it was uh, to me, it was like a, an easy bet. There you go. An easy bet for me. All right. Uh, well, let's talk about the main event. Uh, Makhachev defeats Thiago Moises. You know, a lot of people are criticizing the uh, competition of, of Islam Makhachev that he hasn't fought anybody, uh, yeah. you know, in the top 10 or whatever it is. But I feel like that's not his fault. I feel like, you know, if he was offered somebody in the top 10, he would take it immediately. But and yeah. it seems like whenever he is offered the top 10 fighters, they turn it down. Like Paul Felder was open about the fact that he turned it down because he was thinking of retiring. And at that point in time, yeah, he, that guy's he, a killer now. Yeah. 
Right. No, no, but it's not even just because he's a killer. Felder's like, my heart's not in this, and I'm just like, I'm not going to accept any fight. doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. So he yeah. just, like, he turned that down. But it seems like Makhachev, uh, he was supposed to face RDA, and that fell through. But here's the thing. So Makhachev is supposed to face RDA. That falls through for whatever reason. Yet RDA last weekend, or at whatever, 264, is weighing in to be a backup. So why is yeah. RDA not facing Makhachev on the main event the next week? Yeah. Do you think it's because of... Um... Because he had to make weight for that fight, so what would he do to recover and then cut again a week later? No, but not, no. What I'm, what I'm saying, I'm not saying he should have done that. I'm saying like, why was he unavailable to face Makachev on this card if he's like able to make weight the previous week? Like, yeah, if yeah. If he's yeah, in true. Vegas making weight the previous week, like what is precluding him from facing Islam Makachev the week after? But if being he, forced like, to weigh in is my answer, no? Well, maybe. I mean, maybe if they really wanted him to be a backup and it was more important for them to have him as a backup than to have him face Makhachev. But I, I yeah. can't see that as, as a reason. Like, that doesn't yeah. make sense. But does me. the backup have to weigh in still? Or yes. is it just yeah. if there's an RDA issue? Did weigh right? in. RDA yeah. did weigh in. But what okay. I mean is, like, why is he unavailable if, like, he was available last week to just step on a scale? I, I don't know. It doesn't yeah, make sense like, why me. would you even match it if that was the case? Exactly. Yeah. Why yeah, not match them up instead? But uh, either way, Makhachev now in the top five. He's all the way up in the top five. And I, you know what? A lot of people don't like that because he didn't beat a top five guy. But it's, again, I think, it's, I think this is the right thing to do. And the reason why is because yeah, we have yeah. a guy who's ranked, taking, be, taking a fight against the 14th ranked guy and destroying him. Like that fight was not close for a minute. There was yeah. nothing that would indicate to you that Makhachev was in any sort of trouble for the entire fight. He's still facing a ranked guy. And if he's having trouble getting guys to face him that are in the top 10, hey, now he's ranked top five. Are yeah, you going to avoid it? You, you can move up the rankings yep. now. Yeah, no, I agree. If that's actually the case and nobody wants to fight him, that's the way you do it. You know, with a number there beside his name, people will jump on it a little bit more. Do you think the RDA fight should be next regardless? Um, no, not necessarily. I think uh, Dana White said Benil Dariush was an option. I think that's a great option. That's fine I know too, Benil yeah. is taking the rest of the year off. Um, so I don't know if that would be an option this year. And I know Makhachev wants to fight on Fight Island uh, in October, end of October. So I think RDA is a good option. I think, hey, I think anybody in that top 10 is a good option, really. If you can find somebody who's, going, who's willing to face him, just keep moving him up. Keep, keep fast-tracking him. Uh, this is a guy who's had a lot of trouble getting tough matchups. And now if he's going to get the tough matchups, let's, let's see how he does. Because, you know, let me ask you a question about Makhachev. If, okay. if 10 is he's for sure going to be a champion one day, and 1 is, yeah, I don't think he's going to be ranked any higher than he is now. Yeah. Like if, it, you know, he's, he's not, this is as good as he's going to get. Where would you rank him on that scale? Uh, like let's say I eight s- is the like one day he's a number one contender, but he never becomes champion. Uh, and nine is he becomes champion, but I'm not sure if he's for but, sure going to become champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like I like I like eight. I like eight. I think eight's fair. I think he'll I think he'll contend for a belt. Uh, but hold on, I'm going to change my answer because I'm looking at the guys now, and I think his grappling. But he had some holes. I'm going to see some holes, and Poirier could exploit them, but. And so could nine. Oliveira, right? I mean, if you're going to grapple eight or, Oliveira eight for or five nine. rounds. Eight or nine. I'm stuck yeah. between an eight or a nine. I'm kind of in that same zone as you. Uh, like, yeah. If nine is like, maybe he'll be a champion one day, that's probably yeah. where I have it. I think that he has the potential to become a champion, but the problem is I haven't seen enough. Like, I, yeah, It's the same thing true. I said with Conor when he lost to Poirier twice in a row. It's like, how good is Conor right now? If he's losing twice in a row to the number one guy, is he like as good as the number two guy? Or is he like yeah. number nine like he is now? Like, Is he not able to beat anybody in the top ten? It's hard to yeah. tell if he's just facing the best guy. 
Yeah, and what what surprised me is uh, Makashev's experience in the UFC. He's got ten fights already, you yeah. know. So it's someone who's now already tested and. But I still see a little bit of a slow starter. I still see some holes. You know, maybe putting his combinations together would be a little bit more effective as he gets more experience. But I think he'll do well. And, I mean, I think the biggest comparison I see, you see with the commentators and the media, it's his comparison to Khabib. Is that an accurate one, you think? Well, he's, you think? he's trained with Khabib since he was eight years old. So, I mean, he's going to have parts of his game that are like Khabib. I think they're, they're stylistically a little bit different. I think they have a lot of similarities in terms of how they grapple, in terms of how, how they're a grappling first fighter, and that they, they, yeah. they, they don't take too many risks in the fights. Um, I think that Makhachev is actually a little bit more risk-averse than Khabib is. But at the same time, I feel like we need to kind of let him be his own guy. You, That's you know what, what my I, point is. When yeah. I interviewed him this past week, before we started, the first thing he said to me, I said, like, you know, how's, how's the week going? I always do a little small talk with these guys before. And I was like, how's the week going? He's like, I didn't realize it was going to be this much work to be in the main event, right? Like, whenever you're in your first main event, if you go from being, like, the first card on the first fight on the main card or, like, a prelim fighter to being in the main event, like, the amount of work you have to do to promote the event is way more. There's a lot more pressure on you. And this is the thing about Islam that I think we have to see how he responds to, which is... How is he going to deal with the pressure of being the next Khabib, of being the next champion, the, the guy that Khabib stepped aside for to, to let him become the champ? There's a lot mm. of pressure there. Yeah. You know, you heard them in the corner saying, stick to father's plan, stick to father's plan, which is Khabib's father and, and sticking with grappling and, and using your, putting your best foot forward and, and taking, um, using your strengths to your advantage. I think that if he... The, the good thing about his um, character, like him as a person, He's very shy. He's very reserved. He's not yeah. as brash as Habib. Like you saw James Gallagher in Bellator, and everybody was like, this guy's the next Connor. He's, he's trying to be like Connor. He's trying too hard to be like Connor. I don't think Islam's trying too hard to be like Habib. I think he's just trying to be Islam, which I think is good, and I think we need to embrace that. Yeah. But I mean, Habib was also the guy where it took someone to get him angry to kind of bring that side out. Maybe when uh, Makashev gets you know, in and, and there's someone like a Connor in his face and trash talking a bit. Maybe we'll see a little bit more. But I mean, I I don't mind the, the quiet side of him. I think it almost brings like, a, um, I don't know, like he looks so friendly, like so almost like not in overly intimidating. Like you said, the shyness comes out. But then when the, the ring, when he's in the cage, it's a different animal. So, I mean, I don't mind it. I mean, you'll slowly see him get better, more comfortable. But um I think it's going to take the right dance partner to make him really blow up. I think that's the key. He just seems like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Like, he doesn't seem... He's, he seems like one of those guys where, like, you need to kind of light a spark under him to get him going. Like, he's... Yeah, yeah. He, He's just very laid back, very calm. And even when I was interviewing him, I was like, you're not talking about smashing people. You're not talking, you know... If you want, if you want to move up, you got you to... Gotta, promote yourself a little bit better and he he responded he smiled he said yeah okay i'll smash all these guys <laughs> like he's, yeah, yeah. He, he he believes in himself he's just not as open about that yeah he's no uh hazmat shemaev no smash everybody uh give me everybody but i smash think everybody. of how much hype got behind hazmat shemaev because yeah, of that because of that yeah because not only was he destroying yeah. guys he was saying that he was going to destroy them he's like oh i'm going to destroy this guy you're going to be done i'm going to beat you in the first round islam doesn't say any of that stuff islam's just like he's confident and he's he's but but that's good though. Again, I think we need to embrace him for who he is. Yeah, and I mean his striking is probably better than Habib's, right? I would like agree with he that. can mix it up a little bit more. I think he can kick a little bit better. 
the way he puts things. So I think there's a little bit of different style. I think Habib's pressure when he gets you down is a little bit more dangerous. But uh, yeah, they're they're a little bit different, and I just want to see. You know, I I like the narrative of Habib being this coach now and really getting behind guys and seeing, you know, high level guys in the coaching role, because that's kind of what, you know, I try to do, too, is to because a lot of fighters don't want to get into the coaching world anymore. And it's like this is where, you know, this is how coaching evolves and gets better, because, I mean, I think fighters realize now that coaching is a you need to be, you know, give up your dedication to your fighters and you got to give away a lot of yourself. So a lot of these fighters don't go. And I just like the way Habib's still so involved with the team. He's like the dad now. Right. He's taking Mm -hmm. that role that his dad had, which I think is fantastic. He looks like he's walking around to like one one ninety five also these days. Oh, yeah. Looking like he's good. The the double burgers, (laughs) like he said, the double burgers with cheese. Is that what it is? That's what he loves. Yeah. He loves the double burgers. And his tiramisu was it? Yeah, was it, tiramisu. Was he, well, tiramisu we won't talk about because that—that's what everybody said. He—that's why people said that he lo- he uh, missed weight against Ferguson or so had to pull out. Can't even fight. bring it up. Yeah, yeah you don't want to. You don't want to bring it up. That's a sore spot. But the burgers you can talk about. He loves burgers. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so with Makhachev, again, I think that he is a guy that does take, he does sell out for submissions a little bit more. He's willing to take more risks, Yeah. um, Yeah. which I think is good. And I think that that's going to make people more interested in him because people always used to say, oh, Khabib can't finish fights. And then he started to really look for finishes with his grounded pound. But uh, Makhachev, I think, is just, he'll chase submissions, which I think is going to make people like him a little bit more uh, on his way up. Absolutely. You can't I can't say this that's guy doesn't finish fights. Yeah, I finish fights. That's it. We need the Kenny Florian line. So in his last six fights, well, I, if I say his last eight fights, he's got a 50% finishing rate. But in his last six fights, he's finished four of his last six fights. Yeah. It just sucks that one. Was it a second UFC fight he got knocked out? Or yeah, TKO'd in the second or... UFC fight, he got TKO'd by Adriano Martins. He was a good fighter. Like Adriano Martins, like you look at his record at the time, he was 28-7. and seven. Right, and then he lost four of his last five fights. Right, yeah. so you know people will look at that, but I mean, I think that uh, Martins was. Uh, I guess you you look at his record before that; he had a lot of TKO wins, right? So he he had power, but but again, that's early in his career. So what is that? That's October twenty fifteen. So he yeah, would have just turned seven 24. or eight fights now, yeah, right? Eight in a row now. Or... But you know what? I also mentioned this. Uh, I was I was on a podcast um, this past week, and I mentioned that. Perhaps it's good that he's lost his first fight. You know, it's one less pressure on this guy. I think the guy's got a lot of pressure on him already. The pressure to stay undefeated is another pressure that people don't talk about. Oh, yeah, big time, especially with uh, Habib 29-0. and 0, Like, I think that's uh, something I think people were trying to relate. And I still think people will, you know. I think uh, Islam is, uh, what was his record, 20-1 and 1 now or something like one. that? 20-1. and 1. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I still am very impressive, but... I just think that everyone relates to Khabib. Well, Khabib was twenty nine and zero, and it's just like let him be, let the guy be, let him develop. Like he's people said, what do you think of people that compare you to Khabib? He's like, that's a great. I'm happy people compare me to Khabib. Hell yeah, Khabib's like he's the he's he he looks up to Khabib. He's the goal. Khabib's like his big brother. He started training with him again when he was eight years old. Yeah, no, I mean it's very, but I just think it's sometimes it's too much now. I think once he develops, though, he'll create his own narrative. I just think it's going to take some time, but regardless, like. If you attach your name to Habib, you're going to get the attention. So it's not a bad thing. Like he might not be getting as much attention as he is now. Like his performances are great. But just the fact that Habib's in his corner, you know, DC's always talking about him on the commentary. Like he gets all that extra attention from his teammates. So it's good. 
Let's talk about the co-main event. Misha Tate defeats Marion Renault. She uh, was away for four and a half years, almost five years. Uh, it'll be five years uh, this coming no uh, November. Yeah, this coming November would have been five years away from the game. Uh, she's still only 32 years old. Uh, yeah, 34. 34, bro. rather. 34, you're right. Yeah. 34 years old. But here's my question for you. She's now ranked number eight in the division. Will she be able to do that against somebody in the top 10? I'll run down the top 10 for you. You got uh, Jermaine Durandame, Holly Holm, Aspen Ladd, Irina Aldana, Juliana Pena, Yana Kunitskaya, Ketlin Vieira, uh, Misha, Sarah McMahon, and Macy Chason. Who do you think is a good next opponent for her? And how do you think she looked o- overall? Do you think, uh, are you confident she can do that against more fighters and look that good? Well, I think, I think it's hard to tell. And I mean, why it's hard to tell, it's because of the layoff, right? And this was her first one back. So I think we'll have to see one or two more to see really how she's developed with the time off. But I thought she looked okay. I thought pretty equivalent, I would say, to when she just left the sport maybe. I mean I wouldn't see – I see maybe some improvements where they're striking maybe. Um, a little bit of the distance and the straight punches were nice. But uh, I think she's going to have a hard time. I think I know even the Holly Holmes and I don't think she's – it's a different level. The girls being as consistent. Uh, but who do I see her? I think she needs one or two more, to be honest with you. Um, well, Holly I don't Holm th- asked for the rematch, and I, I like that. Of course, I like Th- it There's too. two opponents I like for her next. One's Holly Holm, and the other is Sarah McMahon. I like that, yeah. I think I that Sarah McMahon that. would really challenge her in terms of the, the grappling, and I think that it, it will show us kind of where Misha's at in terms of in terms of A, her grappling, and B, her striking. I think that she can also outstrike Sarah McMahon. So yeah. that's an interesting one to me. And Holly said, you know, I, she, you know, she was beating Misha Tate basically until she wasn't, you know, until, until she got subbed late in that fight and lost the title. And I can see why she wants that one back. But we've also got to remember Holly Holmes, like 39 or something now, right? 39, yeah, 40 years yeah. old. So sure. that might be a good matchup at this point in time for Misha if she's, you know, if she's 34 and is as good as she looked this past weekend. Yeah, I think she can get up to the the Peñas, the top five. But once you see like the Holly Holmes, the Durandame, the Nunez, I don't see her necessarily being back at that level. She might contend for a title, but I don't think she's at the level right now to beat uh, a Durandame or a Nunez, to be honest. I guess we'll have to see. I, I, yeah, I like the idea but, of a hey, home versus like Tate fight, like as a main event for like a fight. Like as a next fight or? Yeah, even or... next fight. Even next fight. I think I'd, I'd be interested in that. And I think Misha doesn't want to move slowly. I think she wants to try to get to a championship fight as fast as she can. Yeah. Hey, she's been in it. She wants the belt. That's the path. So, and like we said, 34 years old, you got to kind of push a little bit. But that top of the divisions uh, is a tough one. For sure. Um one other thing I said before the the event was that I liked the under in that fight between Tate and Renault. Renault had never been finished, but I thought that there was a, a high probability of a finish. It was like plus two fifty, and it just hit the under by about forty seconds. So oh yeah, yeah. so it was a two and a half then I guess. It was like yeah. plus two fifty, yeah, yeah, under two and a half rounds, yeah. So yeah. just hit the under, which is was good value if you were uh, able to get that. Uh, but yeah, I like Misha Tate. Uh, I thought that she looked great. I think that this was a great matchmaking assignment yeah. for her in her first fight back against Renault, who was having her retirement fight. I thought it was a good retirement fight for Renault. I understand why she took that as her, her last fight. It's a big name, yeah. um, former champion. So I, I liked to see, uh, I'd like to see more of Misha Tate. I think that it would be, I, you know, there are some good matchups for her in the Bantamweight division. Yeah. It would be good and to I think see she's good the for year. the sport too, right? For sure. I think she's great for it. Her, her, her brand outside of it, the story of being a mother and coming back and, 
you know, I like it. I think her story's great. She's got a good personality, and she's a good fighter. So I think it's just refreshing to have a, a name come back to the women and get it excited. Absolutely. And we've got another one of those names coming back this weekend with Aspen Ladd, who's been on the shelf with an injury. But we'll, we'll get to that uh, a little bit later on. Uh, Mateusz Gamrot. Easy Kimura over Jeremy Stevens. I don't think Jeremy Stevens landed a punch in that fight. Yeah, well, quick work. I mean, Jeremy Stevens is a guy who wants to sit and bang, and if you don't let him sit and swing, I mean, that's the advantage you get. So Gamrot did uh, what he had to do. I think the other advantage that Stevens had was that he was a huge 45er, and now he's moved up to 55 again because he doesn't want to cut as much weight, and he's just like a regular-sized 55er who can't use his physicality against a lot of these guys, the 55, that are big 55ers, right? Like, yeah. that's going to be a problem for him. I, I don't know if we'll see him fight in the UFC again, honestly. I think that he's uh, he's his last win was in 2018, so it's been like three and a half years since his last win. Uh, and we had that situation where he pushed um, Drakkar Close at the weigh-ins there, downs and injured Drakkar Close. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC cut him. Yeah, I mean, I think at lightweight, the difference is... If someone will sit and strike with them, he can probably get away with it. I think you can get away with that 10, 15 pounds in weight when it comes to striking because you can move your feet. But when someone grapples you who's 10, 15 pounds heavier, that is a little bit different, you know. So it's uh, it's a different game uh, being a bigger boy wrestling. That's why, like I always said, I think it was the last show, like if I were to kickbox, I'd probably kickbox at 185. But if I were to do MMA, it would have to be 170. It's just that. 15 pounds in weight when it comes to grappling pays a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rodolfo Vieira, he, that was a fun fight with Dustin Stoltzfus, and he ended up getting the sub at the um, yeah. about the midway point of the third round. So he uh, gets back into the win column after that really difficult loss to uh, Anthony Hernandez. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's just, to me, I think he cuts too much weight. I think he's just too big. And still it was better, got a finish last, but I still think he... He's so cautious about the energy now, you know, like he has to be like that. It almost like takes away the fun a lot. Um, let him go 205 and let's keep have the energy and attack submissions, you know, like I think it'd be fun for him. But hey, he got the win. Who am I to say anything? But uh, I think whoever fights him is going to be scared because of that grappling, which, you know, will keep a slow fight regardless. I think whoever fights him is going to be a slower paced fight unless he brings the action, which I think he'll be more reserved as well. So. Yeah, it's a tough fight when you fight a specialist like that. Well, this is the problem with not having a 195 division to go from 85 to 205. But I always think that if you if you are a big middleweight, you should just move up to 205 if you're a grappling-based fighter. Like Antonio Carlos Jr. is the number one seed in PFL now. He moved up to 205. For years, I, I've always been saying, Carlos Jr., he, he won the ultimate fighter at heavyweight. He should have stuck mm. with light heavyweight. He's, like The grappling levels, as the weight classes get bigger, are not as good. So why yeah. not have Vieira... Move to 205. I mean, sure, he's going to get hit with bigger punches, but he can also close the distance faster. He'll be fast for 205, and then he can get yep. score takedowns and get subs against guys that are just not good grapplers. There was a, a lot of guys at 205 that he could probably bully. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I just, I mean, he's winning now. Just why put yourself through that? Well, I think we'll see him bump up a little bit. I think, I mean, at 205, I don't know, even one, but even at middleweight, I think he probably likes it there because it's a, we call it the striking division, right? Because he has such an advantage in the grappling at middleweight that maybe that's why he'll try it here for the next year or two and then probably move himself up. But at uh, at middleweight, he's got some great matchups against strikers if he could kind of, you know, not get hit. 
Well, look at his credentials in jiu-jitsu. He has a lot of gold medal gold medals in the absolute division, which is like any weight, like any weight, uh, yeah. And also at 100 kilograms, which is like what about like 215, 220, 220, 220 right? 20, yeah. So I mean, if you look at it that way, like he's been competing in jiu-jitsu at a heavier weight. Why why kill yourself moving down to 185? Like the lowest weight he did in jiu-jitsu was 92 kilograms. So 92 kilograms is about 200 pounds, I think. 202 yeah. pounds. So. I think that it would make a lot of sense for him to go to 205, but I, you know, I don't even know if this has been a conversation. One thing I want to ask you about, though, did you listen to the commentary in that fight? Uh, no, I was off on the commentary on that I figured, one. I figured you were with friends partying with uh, the Malcolm Gordon win. Uh, there you go. But uh, one thing that Michael Bisping said, he kind of mocked Vieira for going to a sports psychologist and said the guy just should just do road work. He needs to work on his cardio, not his, not his mentality. And yeah. he's, he's faced some criticism for that. Yeah, I, I would say it's... Uh... He probably didn't mean it in the way that he said it. He's probably like, let's focus on the more important things. Let's get your conditioning going, you know? Like, yeah, you can be weak mentally, but work the conditioning. Conditioning brings, you know, strong mindset. So, I don't know. I mean, it is a tough one. I mean, I think most fighters, I think everybody in life should see a psychiatrist. Not even just fighters. I think even healthy mental people should see one. I think Bisping uh, was probably just making a joke that didn't go over well. <laughs> Yeah, like, basically, saying, work on your road work. Don't worry about going to a sports psychologist. But yeah. and if you know yeah. Bisping outside of being a commentator, you know probably that's the comments he would make. Probably a lot more aggressive than that. You know, like Bisping is just that type of funny personality, always cracking jokes. So I don't think people should be taking it too personal. But I get how you know people are taking it all sensitive. I hope they're not getting all sensitive, being like, "Oh, mental health is an issue," or like well, but they're not relating. It's it hard to, that, to it's they? hard to not look at that as him stigmatizing mental health. And I think that again, if you know Bisping, he's probably joking around. But at the same time, you're on ESPN, and it's kind of ir irresponsible to say that you know you don't need to go to a sports psychologist. You need to work on your cardio. It's like it's like the people who say, you know what helps with depression? Exercise. It's like, yeah. well, no, clinical depression doesn't matter how much you exercise if you have clinical depression you're there's gonna be some depressed chemistry and right. yeah there's things that are happening yeah. regardless and you might feel better for an is. hour that's, or that's two, how you, you stigmatize know? people yeah because there's any endorphins is it going to help i'm sure for a couple hours exercise and that kind of stuff but there's the bigger issue but i don't think like the comment when when people say oh i need to go see a sports psychologist i don't think it's more of i need to go to speak about my anxiety my depression my my trauma right. i think it's more of like how do you become more confident fight night how mm -hmm. you know at weigh-ins do you stay relaxed if your opponent's in your face how do you you know, right. keep your nerves down. That's more of what happens at the sports psychologist rather than the other issues. But a lot of times, a lot of those other issues do come out. There's anxiety. Whether you have anxiety, performance anxiety, and social anxiety, it's still anxiety. You know, there is still some mental health there. So it is a touchy subject, but I got to support Bisping. Just knowing his personality that he meant no harm and he's a funny kind of guy. Well, here's my question for you. Have you gone to a sports psychologist? Uh, I have not, but I took university courses in it. Okay, because I'm curious what the difference is between a sports psychologist and just going to a psychologist. A sports psychologist is more about like mentality surrounding sport. Is that what I would? would is that most fair? of the guys do because even when um, one of the people who um, like when I trained, I won't mention names, but I trained uh, someone at a very very high level, like could be the UFC, maybe not. But uh, they had issues come fight week. They just weren't. They would get too much anxiety and. And then they saw a, a psychologist and it kind of helped them. I think it's just giving them ways to deal with the anxiety of performing. Mm -hmm. You know, fight week's hard. Like the that whole 
you know, fight day, fight before, like the day before, it's very, very difficult on you. If you can't manage anxiety, it's hard. And it's like when you're getting those big opportunities, the more media attention, you have to learn to switch your mind quickly. The negative thoughts come in, the way you think, it, it's very, very tough. And then going back to um, the f first conversation with Malcolm, so to lose twice now, to get knocked out, submitted, and then have to go into a fight camp mentally knowing that this is your last chance, like the fight game is so mental, man. And I think that seeing someone just to kind of manage the anxiety, help you kind of turn those negative thoughts to positive ones. It plays a lot. There's be times where I'd be driving in the car and I would get negative emotions and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm thinking of this fight. I'm getting negative. So I'd have to learn to switch it quickly. I'll put on maybe positive music or I had to start thinking differently or I had to kind of put my walkout music on so I can feel the more positive or start thinking about me knocking the person out instead of me getting knocked out. So there's so much behind it. Um, but it's more around the fighters that I know who need it and who suggest it are the ones who have to deal with the nerves. It's more nerves and the pre-fight anxiety. That's the, the biggest issue. Then that, because that could affect the performance fight night, right? Mm -hmm. If you're so anxious and then your heart rate's up, you're not performing well, and you're like, why am I not performing well? I'm doing so good in training, but that's where you need someone then to get that mental. I'm someone who I was gifted with very strong mentality where I didn't need it. I, I was able to just not think of the fight until the fight happened. So I know a lot of fighters who can't do that. So I think, I think everyone's gifted differently with the ability to deal with stress. Well, we've seen Tom Breeze, who uh, on multiple occasions had to pull out on fight day because he just was too anxious. He couldn't. And he's, yeah. he was released from the UFC after the last incident of that happening, right? Like, so... It's tough. It's it, the sport is not, you know, it's not a joke. <laughs> no, just say no. That. It, it's hard, no and it, I say the hardest thing is in it's the mental aspect. The mental aspect of fighting is one of the toughest. Try going to bed, you know, knowing you fight in two weeks, and this is or your in, life, it's your career, hours. your passion. Yeah, that's the worst. My my biggest time because I have this conversation a lot. The the most time I would get. Because I was a high school teacher, I was so busy teaching that I didn't think of the fight. And then when I went to training, I would be so focused on that two-hour training. And then I'd be so tired, I didn't think of the fight when I went home. And then I'd work the next day. So my mind was always occupied. So it kept me busy. But the only time I would have very bad – I wouldn't say very bad, but I, I got anxiety would be fight day. Even waking up fight day, I'm fine. Going to breakfast is fine. And then they tell you like, okay, the bus is picking you up at 2 p.m. And I look at my time, I'm like, it's 11. And then I was like, shit, I got three hours. My heart starts going. And then I'm sitting in the room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nap. Pretend to nap, you know, thinking you're going to try to rest. And that's when the anxiety comes. But as soon as I get to the arena, the anxiety stops again. So it was basically two, three hours of pretty heavy, like, stress and being like, oh, man, am I going to get knocked out? Am I going to get hurt? People are messaging me. Oh, my God. How many people are going to be watching? There's so many different things you don't think of. And then and then usually once the hands are wrapped, you hit the zone and then you're good. But most people, that anxiety continues, and it's they start throwing up. GSP's one of the person right. who's he's, always he's said he throws up. Yeah. So yeah, it's a tough one, but I don't think people should be scared to see one. I think it'd be positive for most uh, most athletes. Mm -hmm. Why not? Billy Quarantillo defeats uh, Gabriel Benitez. What a war! But Billy Quarantillo was not going to lose that fight. <laughs> like it just yeah. seemed like from the from the jump, he was not going to lose that fight. Yeah. Put he just goes for it. Lots of volume. 
he goes. So, I mean, uh, and he was at, I, I was surprised he was an underdog going into this yeah, one, so too. Was I. I couldn't understand it for the whole week. Yeah. And the line yeah. tightened as it got closer, but this was also a short notice assignment for Benitez. Yeah, I don't know. Quarant- uh, Quarantello uh, is just something different, fun to watch. Well, one thing that I liked to hear from him during fight week was, you know, you know, a lot of fighters will make excuses for why they lose fights. When he, we talked about the Gavin Tucker fight, and I heard them say this in a couple of interviews, like he said, I, I did not expect him to grapple. I expected this to be a stand-up yeah. fight. I did not work as hard on my grappling during camp, and I probably should have. And he took advantage of that, and like he saw why he lost the last fight. And that's important. It's important to have, be self-aware. You know, if you say, oh, I had a bad cut, or, you know, I had a lingering injury... Those are things that you can acknowledge, but you also have to sometimes say this guy was the better man that night because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, he's like, he probably knows he could beat Gavin Tucker on his best night, or if you would have trained, not allowed Gavin Tucker to take him down as often if he wasn't, was expecting to take down. But, you know, Tucker usually stays on the feet, but sometimes you take the path of least resistance and taking down Billy Quarantillo, if you look at how he operated this past weekend, is a good idea. Yeah, I'm just looking at his record now, and it's like, that guy fights a lot of Canadians. I know. Jeez, I said that like, to him. I said, I'm glad you're not fighting a Canadian this time around. Yeah. But even looking back, his fight just before the Dana White contender series, I didn't even know, was a friend of mine. I just looked oh, at really? Adrian Velakas. Okay. Like, uh, he fought in a lot of the, the local scenes. So just before his Dana White, he fought King of the Cage against my friend Adrian, who's a fantastic fighter. Like, I mean, really good. Like, like a local fighter who was probably, like, pretty much undefeated and maybe one or two losses in his uh, – um, in his career, so he beat Velakis and then beat, yeah, then he lost, they beat Kyle Nelson and then loses to Tucker, but yeah, lot too many Canadians. So good stuff, man. He looks good. He's fun. Yeah, he's a, he's a really enjoy. He's a nice fighter, nice guy, uh, and him and his wife are going on their honeymoon soon. So congratulations to him. Uh, yeah. One other note from the prelims: Amanda Lemos looked phenomenal against uh, Montessorat Ruiz. That, those straight punches, just like they, they just. She won that fight so easily. It was. It looked so seamless, and she looks like a real contender at strawweight. Yeah. And what's the story behind her? I mean, um, she's just. What's her What's her background? Because she has a lot of hype behind her. Yeah, I'm not sure who. I can't remember who she trains with. I know. I think Valid Ismail trains her and manages her. Is that what it is? Yeah. Like he's I always just, love uh, Valid Ismail getting on the mic afterwards, and you can tell he's not translating. He's just kind of pushing zero. His yeah. yeah, zero. He makes up his own. I like it. He's like, my name is Amanda Lemos, and I'm a strawweight. But it's like him talking, which is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love well, Ishmael, man. You know how good he was as a fighter, too? Oh, yeah, I don't back think people know. Yeah, the back a, in the day. A destroyer. Who, the did he, who did he, uh, yeah, he beat, uh, he choked out Hoist Gracie, I yeah. think, in one of these legendary matches. And, like, he had some legendary finishes. There's one I remember being in Brazil watching it on uh, VHS tape years ago. And it was just a, this phenomenal finish, and everybody just started going nuts. I don't know which Gracie it was. I, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. I'm pulling up his. his I think record. it was Hoyce. I, I think it was Hoyce. Yeah, maybe. Let, let's see. So yeah, he. Uh, that was in in submission grappling. Yeah, he he uh, had the clock choke against Hoyce Gracie. That's the yes, one. Yes, I've watched that choke. video yeah. a bunch of times. I've watched it a couple of times. Yeah. That's the one. That was the legendary one that for me. So uh, yeah, Valid Ismail. His first registered fight was. Uh, was in Brazil, Jiu-Jitsu versus Luta Livre in 1991. <laughs> yeah. Not so long ago. Did he ever you get the any UFC or no? No, I don't think he, I think he retired it was just all before the UFC stuff. got big. Did he do no, any he MMA? No, he did MMA, yeah. His, his MMA debut was, was in uh, 1991. Damn. His first professional MMA fight. It was uh, one of those ones like he wins in the first round, 16 minutes into the first round. 
Oh, the, one of the long, no time right. limit. No time yeah. limits. Unanimous That's decision awesome. in IVC5 in 1998, 30 minute fight. Damn. But he did yeah, have, no, he did have fights that were three, five minute rounds in like 2002. So, you know, it's not, not too, too long ago. Yeah. 19 years ago. 19 years ago. And he's 53. So there you go. He's like in his, I guess his last fight, he was in his 30s. So, uh, but yeah, Amanda Lemos looked phenomenal in that fight. Um, I liked what I saw from Rodrigo Nascimento as well. He lost that first round, came back with authority, and got a knockout against Alan Badeau. Uh, and then afterwards, they, this wasn't on, uh, like if you were watching the uh, Raw stream on Face, uh, on, I guess, uh, Fight Pass, the stuff that he was saying to him after the fight, he was like, you're, you know, he's like, you're, you're a champion. He was just so nice to the guy that he had defeated. He's like, don't, you know, keep your head up. You really hurt me in that first round. You did a really good job. Like, just really complimenting yeah. towards his opponent, which I like to see. Yeah, it's nice to see. I'm always torn against that. I mean, it's like, don't be so nice to me, man. I lost. <laughs> I, you like know? I get yeah. it. I get it. There's some guys. I don't know who it was recently. I think it was uh, the pay-per-view. Um, they're like, don't don't, don't lift me up. Don't, don't. I don't like the lift up. I don't like the lift up. Like, if I lost, don't lift me and, and put me on your shoulders. You know, like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably hit you on your head when you try to pick me up. Because I don't, like, no. No, you're happy. You won. I get it. But I did not win. I don't want to be happy right now. So do not lift me up. Let's talk about Bellator uh, this past week. Uh, I just want to talk about the main event, which yeah. uh, saw Denise Kilholtz uh, lose a split decision to the champion, Juliana Velasquez. I thought that Kilholtz clearly won this fight. I, I'm surprised that Velasquez got the decision. I mean, Kilholtz was throwing. She, I think she outstruck her almost 3-1. to one. Might have even been more than 3-1. to one. And she was throwing power behind all those shots. And like you always complain about, the leg kicks were not taken into account at all, it seems, with the scoring criteria. Yeah, and, and, and especially early on in the fight, she was throwing a lot of them. She kept chopping away. But I think the problem was when she was throwing those kicks, she was getting countered sometimes. So it looked like she was eating some shots. But she landed a lot of kicks. And, and I told you earlier uh, before the show, Aaron, that I'm a little biased because I know her and her husband very well. And... You got to think both her and her husband are Dutch kickboxers. Hesdy Gerges, he fought Rico Verhoeven. And I'm just so close with Hesdy so many years. Like, um, we fought on the same card, see him at all the events. I see Denise all the time. And it just, they represent Dutch kickboxing, which is, you know, glory in my style. So I really support it. And she had all of Amsterdam and Holland behind her. So all of my friends were posting about her. And I thought she won. And the what I, why I thought she won, the main reason is she she went for it. She was trying to hit the body, go back upstairs. She, she would get hit and keep going. I loved when she committed to her combinations. Like she would just throw bomb, 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 four, five in a row. She didn't care. Like she, it was a fun fight to watch. And I think she deserved to win for the way she went after it, you know, but uh, unfortunate. But I hope they give it a rematch. I think it deserves it. And I think it was uh, an entertaining fight. I don't understand still. The noises the crowd was making sometimes. I don't know if they were boos or what. What are those? What's what? those noises make? Those that's, woos, woos, that's just, woos. That's just the crowd being uh, being alcoholic. Annoying. And, uh, yeah, annoying. <laughs> Is it like when they want more action? But they, they, Is it when, more when action they're so wanting for? It, I don't. Know but it sounds it. like boos. It's not. I don't like it. I don't like those woos. Nobody does. I don't unless like those woos. Unless you're a fan who's had a couple, then then you enjoy following. Yeah, following but the I don't crowd. enjoy it. Yeah. I didn't like it. I didn't. I don't like those ones because I don't know if it's a boo. I don't no, know if it's, just, it's like. I think it's just the crowd getting trying to be engaged with it and trying to be on TV. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah. I'm not a fan either, but uh, it's it's a reference to Ric Flair. I'm sure you know this. I don't know why I'm yeah, talking no, this. No, no, no. Okay. I know that, but okay. still. I just don't know if it's like it's a thing. Like what are they – what is the accomplishment of that? Is it like let's get action? Is it we're just – I don't know. I don't know if there was a bigger meaning behind it. Well, sometimes when people are doing that, they're not as – you know, maybe they do want to see more action. Maybe they're not – I can't really interpret the, the, the yellings of – people that the crowd all right it's like i thought it could be like wwe like you know when you do certain chants and stuff like that you're asking for something but i've been hearing it a lot lately it seems to be an mma thing now yeah it's uh it's odd that's for sure i i don't really understand it myself but uh i'm also not paying to go to events i'm in the media and i'm at events in the that's back and it's, I'm, I'm it's not only that i'm not paying to go to the events i'm also not sitting cage side i'm, I'm in the back so my uh, knowledge of the origins of why people yell woo at MMA events is uh, I'm not I'm not your expert for that. Uh, well, you'll you'll we'll have to ask a fan out. who likes to yell at events and they can make yeah, it. It's an important question for me. Okay. It's a deep, important one I need to know. Well, now. If I'm at an event and I hear a guy going woo and I'm yeah, just walking by, I'm going to say, excuse me, what, why do you yell woo during the events? Yeah, and they'll pour their beer on me and we'll call it a day. Yeah. Let's get him on the podcast and <laughs> we'll break it down. All right, let's talk about this weekend's event, a massive main event between Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw. Thoughts? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to digest. I don't here. know. I, I think my thoughts is I don't know. I don't think we really know. It's what the heck is TJ, you know, going to bring? You know, everyone keeps talking, oh, the EPOs and mentally it's going to scrim. I think TJ is one of the most mentally strong fighters on the roster. I think he's a, a fantastic athlete who – you hear stories of always wants to win. He's competitive. I'm sure he's done his work. So I think he's going to be able to be one of those Dominic Cruz type of guys who are going to be able to not really show the ring rust as well. as. But uh, Sanhagen, active, great, new kind of breed of fighter. Whew, and they've trained together know. in the past too. Yeah, and I, from I, what I, I understand, sure. and again, they trained together I think three, four years ago, maybe even more. Sanhagen was hanging with Dillashaw in training, and it was frustrating TJ Dillashaw, from what I understand. But yeah. and again, this is like when TJ was the champion, and and Sanhagen might not have even been in the UFC yet. Like that's how good Corey Sanhagen was even then. Yeah, I even listened to Dillashaw with uh, Below the Belt, Brandon Schaub there, and he was kind of saying, I don't know, he's just kind of saying how Sanhagen was. He was the one saying that promoting Sanhagen to get to the UFC. He was pushing him, saying this kid's gonna be good. But he was kind of saying like Sanhagen was just a specialist at the time. Like he needed good striking. So we brought Sanhagen in where he felt maybe he got the dominance in the wrestling as a mixed martial artist. I just think Sanhagen's height is unawkward, is being unorthodox, a little bit more awkward. To be a minus 180 favorite against the, the former champ, I think that's, uh, that's a tough one. I, I don't know. I'm really torn on this one. Uh, my gut is telling me Sanhagen. But uh, I can't write off Dillashaw. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I'm having a lot of trouble. I think that the odds are correct. I think Sanhagen should be the favorite at this stage. But he's a big favorite, right? Like he's a yeah, minus it's some 200 two to one. favorite. Yeah. yeah. And that, I, I'm, I'm having trouble digesting that, right? Like Sanhagen by TKO is plus 160. Sanhagen inside the distance is minus 115. So, like, you're still laying odds on him winning inside the distance, which, I mean, how many times has Dillashaw been finished at bantamweight? Like, yeah, just was Cody. That's it. Uh, no, Cody never finished Dillashaw. Cody. I thought it was Dillashaw the one beat Cody finished twice. him. Cody Dillashaw twice. finished Cody twice. I, he's been finished by John Dodson, if I remember, on the Ultimate Fighter. That's it. Um, so Hudo was at one twenty-five. So I don't care. Yeah, John Dodson's the last bantamweight to knock out. That was in his first UFC fight, 
You got knocked out by John Dodson in that's ten years ago almost. Yeah, I, I confused. I was like, I confused uh, with the Dominic Cruz and Cody. Yeah, right. So yeah, yeah Cejudo at, at flyweight, right? So jeez. I mean, the guy doesn't get finished very often. So I mean, if one thing I like on this fight is like, what's the odds on it to go like the over over Decision? three and a half rounds is plus one thirty eight. Like, if I was gonna make a pick, that would be my pick. That's the pick. Yeah, that's I agree the pick, with you. That's Joe. the pick. That's, that's the, the pick. Yeah, that's the pick. You, na- you nailed it. Over two right and a half rounds is plus one hundred. That might even be an even better value. You're buying yourself Which one a is that? Uh, over two and a half rounds plus one hundred. Over two and a half. Yeah, that's that's nice too. That's that's got to be. That I might be my. He has an edge play for me, Mister yeah. Mister Valtellini. The two and a half or three and a half. Two and a half. I'll just take. You're going to take, take the, the extra round. Safer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's even money. Why not take it? Because I like uh, that one. Dillashaw is very durable. Sanhagen also very durable. I mean, he got finished by Aljamain Sterling, but uh, I think how many losses does Sanhagen have? I think he got finished actually once in his uh, prior to his UFC debut. They have him at fourteen and two record. It was a, it was so, a decision. Yeah. So his only loss was the sub to Aljamain. Loss inside the distance, I should say, is the loss to. Uh, when was his other loss pre UFC? Yeah, then, Jamal right? Emmers pre UFC yeah. by decision. So, um, all right, that's. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just don't have a great read on this one. I, I'm eager to see what Dillashaw looks like. He's got, had surgery, so he might come out even looking better. Yeah, you never know. The time off, the him just relaxing and kind of focusing. Fight camps are tough. You don't have a life. I mean, it's hard. So one thing he did say that I really enjoyed in that interview, he goes, this time off made me realize that I'm looking forward to retirement. I know that I can survive without fighting. You know, I've created multiple streams of income where I don't need fighting anymore to make money. But I want the belt. I love what I do. So he's like, he's not worried about the financial aspect of it now. He's just more worried about him being himself, staying relaxed, performing, his his training. So that's a good place to be in. Well, here's the question that I have that I think will ultimately be the answer to this question of the fight. Can a 35-year-old TJ Dillashaw, at his absolute best, beat a Corey Sanhagen that's entering his prime at 29 years old? Like that's yeah. the big question I have because Sanhagen is a yeah. really tough nut to crack, uh, given his size, given his durability, given his uh, well-roundedness. I'm I'm eager to see what happens in this one. I, I'm I think it's going to be a great fight. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very torn. I mean, I can't write off Dillashaw at all. I think because good range, good striking. I think. You know, Sanhagen's got good knees and all of those kinds of things. But I think Dillashaw, training with Bang so many years, understands his distance, his range, his movement, the way he mixes it up. I think they're going to be pretty even on the feet. I don't know if who would have a, a much bigger advantage when it comes to the striking. Who could mix it up better? Probably Dillashaw, right? I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, it's tough. It's a know. very, very tough fight to Both call these guys because are of the fact. Absolute killers. I mean, Dillashaw's training now with – it's like Cub Swanson, Aaron Pico – um, uh, Juan Archuleta, like that's a great camp. That, and then, yeah, that little group is insane. I think yeah. they even have Raymond Daniels with them every so often, and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an impressive group. And then Sandhagen, you look at who he's training with, that uh, team elevation, like they, that team just has tons of guys coming in all the time too, right? So, I yeah. don't know, I don't know how many good, great smaller fighters are are there, but uh, so I, I'm not exactly sure who he's training with in particular. But it's probably just flying over my head. I probably would, would know if I had more time to think about it. Uh, Coming mm. event, Aspen Lab, Macy Chase on. This is a, a big fight in this division because I think the winner of this one is going to break through into that, you know, title contention spot. 
of fighters who have not yet fought Amanda Nunes. And I think Macy Chazon's very underrated. Aspen Ladd coming uh, off of injury. We know how good she can be. Very good fight. I'm, I'm excited for this one. I don't have a great read on this one either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are, are talking big about Aspen Ladd being back. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's tough for me to always see because I just think Amanda's just so dominant on her throne at the top there that it's kind of been very difficult. It's still hard for me to see next contenders for her. Well, Aspen's 26, you know? right? So she's still very young. Um, but net rank Macy... number three, right? Yeah, that she's, means she's she could there. be one or two fights away. Within a year, she can be fighting the GOAT. And Macy's 29, just entering her prime, training with uh, Safe Sayud, like great camp over there. Uh, so, I mean, this is just a really tough one for me to call. I think I think the odds are right, though. I think Aspen should be about a two-to-one favorite. But I, I don't want to write off Macy Jason. She's just really good. Oh, now, what was the layoff and injury related to? Uh, I think she tore like ACL, PCL, like bad injury. Oh, full knee. Dang. But she's also 26, right? So the recovery time is, isn't quite as difficult. But she hasn't fought in almost two years. Her last fight was yeah. in December 2019. And Macy's, if I remember, very tall, rangy fighter. Yeah, tall, rangy, and big, physical. She yeah. won the uh, Ultimate Fighter 145 pounds, but uh, has since moved down to 135 and has made 135 her home. All right. And uh, speaking about the women, Macy Barber's back from injury too, right? Right. Well, no, Macy has already come back from uh, injury. From that big injury yeah, she, she had? Yeah, she lost to Alexa Grasso by decision. Okay. This was earlier this year. Um, and what do you take from this fight here with uh, Miranda Maverick? Well, Miranda Maverick is really good. And Miranda Maverick's actually favored in this spot. Uh, she's a minus 135, 140 favorite. Miranda Maverick is really good. Another up-and-coming fighter, only 24 years old. So th these are two... Uh, this is a confusing matchup for me because they're taking two really young prospects. One's 23, one's 24, and putting them against each other. Uh, I didn't like what I saw from Macy Barber in that last fight against um, against Alexa Grasso. She came on in the third round, but had clearly lost the first two. Yeah. But if I had to pick a side here, I would take Macy Barber. I, I know that... Uh, that Miranda Maverick is undefeated in the UFC. She's 2-0 in the UFC, but her competition, Leanna Jojua and, and Jillian Robertson. Robertson's pretty good, but I don't think she's on the level of... In fact, Macy Barber's beaten Jillian Robertson. Yeah. So I think if you can get Macy Barber underdog money, that's probably the right side here. But I, I am impressed with Miranda Maverick. I think she's quite good. Yeah, it's... Uh... What did we say? Barber plus 115, yeah. 110, mm -hmm. in and around there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's talented. I believe she's still training out of Denver. No, she's training in Chicago she moved, under Mike right? Valley. Okay, Mike Valley, that's right. Yeah, Mike Valley's good, very good too. Yeah, so she left. She was actually training in Milwaukee with Rufusport for a while. Okay, yes, it was she, Milwaukee. Yeah. Then, then I thought it, there was no Chicago. Denver at one point. Not, I don't no, think, uh, unless that's where she started uh, off was in Denver at her like. Where's she from? She's from. She's, she's from. Uh, yeah, she's from Colorado. So she must have started out training. Okay. In I Denver. thought she was with. Um, Montoya. Uh, Montoya and stuff for a I don't bit. Know. That's I don't where know. I thought she started her UFC with Montoya. That's where I'm all confused now. I think she actually was training under her dad originally, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Either way, I think that she is. Uh, she's training under Mike Valley, so she's training with Juliana Pena, you know, every day, which is good I think, strikers great for her. too, right? Right. So Valley's got good strikers. I think he works with one of the Glory guys, uh, kickboxing too. He's got a couple guys. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how she does. I think that. This is going to be a very close fight, very competitive fight. Uh, Darren Elkins versus Derek Minner I'm excited about. I, yeah. I think that Minner is uh, a really underrated fighter. Uh, he's favored in this one. I like him. I think he'll win by submission. I think you can get, you can get yeah. that plus 400. He right has now. to be a favorite. Yeah. 
But uh, if, you, if you want to, a good play, Minner by submission at plus 400 is going to be one of my official picks for this week. Yeah, he's about uh, he's a minus 165, 155 straight up to win, so yeah. not bad. But I don't see how he wins by any means other than submission. I think if he can't find a sub, maybe he can win a decision. But Elkins is such yeah. a busy, high-motor fighter that usually if it goes to the scorecards, Elkins often will get the nod there. So I, I think... still can't believe Elkins doing it. I, mean, I just got to say I it. I still can't believe it. I mean, the guy takes so much beatings. damage. He, still now, he takes beatings for the first two rounds, and he gets a win in the third. He has you know, like tattooed his on his chest, Joe. Out. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's insane. I, I, I cornered against him, I don't even know, 10 years ago, I feel like it's been. Against Carvalho, with, when you were with Carvalho. With, with Antonio, yeah. 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 So it's been 10 years since. I don't know, like, how long me and Antonio were there. Like, that's insane. Well, I know I'm picking Minner by sub, but I should mention Elkins has been subbed by just one man, Charles Dobronx. Dobronx, all right. Yeah, so Elkins, man. Can become the second. Doing the damn thing. Good for him. Doing hopefully just his thing. head is good. Yeah. Hopefully the damage isn't that bad. Yeah. But I mean, that's his nickname. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's taking too much damage. That's you. No, no, no. I, I would never that's say me that. saying that. No, that's me saying that. Tyler All Phillips, Howley and Paiva. That's another great fight on the main card. I think that Paiva is too big of an underdog here, honestly. I, I, I'm not taking anything in any sort of official capacity, but Paiva at plus 210 seems like a very good value in this fight. I, although I think Kyler Phillips is a fantastic fighter. Yeah. Now I don't know much about him, so I'll be keeping an eye. Mickey Gall, an underdog against Jordan Williams. I like that fight a lot. Uh, Puna Soriano against Brendan Allen is a great fight also. Yes, everyone talks a lot highly about uh, Soriano. I think uh, extreme couture guy, good power in his hands, I, I believe. And he's too. Yeah, I think 8 or 9 and 0, I want to say. This is a great card. i got to say, like for a fight night card, you've got a lot of really good under-the-radar fights here. Nasruddin Imavov against Ian Heinish is a great fight. I think Heinish has been training at Stanford, if I'm not mistaken. He's moved. Uh, I believe so, yeah, yeah I think so. over there. Uh, Costa versus Adrian Yanez, Randy Costa Yanez. This is an awesome fight. I, I, I actually, I love this fight and I hate this fight. The reason why I hate this fight is because these are both really good guys. Like they're both nice, really super nice guys that are great young prospects. Hmm. And the reason I love it is because they're great young prospects facing each other, right? Like someone's yeah, got to win, someone's got to lose. Yeah, I, I, but I do, I agree with you. I, I kind of hate those fights because it's like, don't put the, the young prospects together, you know? Yeah. Like let them grow and then when they're a little reached uh, near the top, then put them in the top 10. I think Yanez has champion potential this guy's really good he's got yeah, at least and, a top 10 potential and you agree with the the minus 230 favorite it's, a, it's long odds and randy costa's really good costa's moved over to sanford as well i believe that's a that's a, it's a big number it's a big number uh yeah what's yana's inside yana's inside is minus 125 even that number i don't love that this is this is a wait and see this is a watch and see for me uh julio arche back in action against andre ewell Nice to see Julio back. That seems like a good fight. One of yeah. the super nice guys in the sport. One of the best smiles you'll see. His last loss was a split loss to Hakeem Dawadu about two years ago. He's been fighting injuries as well. So I'm, uh, I like Julio, uh, Julio Arce. Just a super nice guy. Yeah. And there's uh, a Romanian-Canadian girl on the card, yeah, isn't she? Yeah, Diana Belbida against Hannah Goli in the, in the first fight. Yeah, she trains with uh, Alin, crew Alin, mm-hmm. Tiger Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah, up in Stony Creek, so... Yeah, she, uh, she's in good hands, so hopefully uh, they do some stuff over there. And Sajara Eubanks is facing Elise Reed. Does the name Elise Reed mean anything to you? Uh, no, I can maybe if I see a picture she, of her. She's I'm the person that, that beat uh, Jasmine Jassy uh, Devicius in uh, CFFC. In the, I thought that was a terrible decision. I thought Jasmine won that fight. Uh, let, Did you is watch that the, fight? Is it the one where the girl just used her kicks she and was kept circling moving and, just going and kicking? 
Yeah, yeah, I did see that one. I gotta see. Oh I yeah, her, you, I think there's Eubanks no picture on her on the UFC. I think Eubanks is gonna wreck her. I hate to say it. I, I just don't like have from having watched her deal with the pressure of uh, Jasmine when Eubanks pressures her, and, and this is at flyweight too. Eubanks is moving back to flyweight. Wow. If Eubanks makes weight for this one, I think Eubanks is gonna wreck her in this fight. I liked Reed. Her distance control was great, but uh, she's only four and zero. Very new, I know. and that's why just... I just think it's too soon for her. Yeah, yeah. Eubanks is good, but I, I like that Reed girl. I thought she did really well. The way she moved, she was shorter but used her kicks. I like it because I like that footwork. I teach triangle stepping. I teach hit and move. The footwork that Reed uses, I'm very big on when I teach my martial arts for uh, distance control. So I really like her her style. But, yeah, it's, but it's, it's not a, a style one. that's conducive to damage. And it's no, and, it's a hit and, and move it's style. A hit and stick yeah. and move, and stick and move is yeah. starting to go by the wayside in MMA because the judging criteria does not reward it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if she can hit and piece her up with those, and she kicks a lot too, which is great. But I mean, yeah, you're I mean, right. Eubanks She's gonna have throwing to kicks, you're gonna get taken down. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be interesting. But uh, yeah, I think a little uh, too much for her. But maybe she was just given the opportunity, and you take it. One of those, you know. That's a tough matchup. I will be looking at Eubanks inside the distance, but I think that Eubanks needs to make weight first. Eubanks inside the distance is plus one forty. I like that play. All right. Well, what's the under? Because if the under is like doesn't go to decision, is fight won't start round three is plus one forty. Doesn't go to decision is minus one hundred five. I might just go with that. But I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, let's go. And yeah. Get both sides, but I think Eubanks wins this fight inside the distance. Yeah, she, Eubanks did good too. Remember, remember what was that big one she had? She was that huge underdog. She was like the biggest she underdog. Lost, but she she lost won that, that one. one. No, the one before that. I swear there was one. She was a huge underdog and she won. She was a big underdog. I don't think. No, I don't think so. I, the, the biggest underdog sure? she's been was against Aspen Ladd, and she lost that fight. I was at that fight. She was plus two fifty. I thought there was one recently where they brought her in last oh, minute. Oh, Kevin Vieira. Yeah, yeah, okay, Did she win yeah. The fight? She was plus 187. She was about up 2 to 1 underdog. You're right. Yeah, I think she beat Ketlin Vieira. She's a bigger she underdog than that. Did she win that fight? I don't remember that fight. My internet just went down, so I can't tell you. Good timing, internet. I'm trying to get some answers Perfect. here. Yeah, but I, I think uh, I thought she was a bigger underdog than that, but uh, not she. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's great watch fighter this one. trains this out of Denver. I think because uh, I always remember because my friends always. Uh, yeah, because she Mark trains Henry? in Denver. Did she move over to Denver? Uh, no, my understanding she's in Denver with Elevation, I believe. Oh, really? Okay, she moved over to that team. Interesting, because uh, she had yeah. been training under Mark Henry for some time. All right, my internet's bad. Let's no. see. Did she win that fight against Ketlin Vieira? She lost that fight. It was a unanimous decision. I think a lot of people thought she won that fight. So I so. don't know. There was one she definitely won, and she was an underdog last-minute fight. I can't remember. And she was a big underdog. I think it was. I think this is the fight you were talking about, and a lot of people thought she won that fight, but she didn't. Maybe oh, I don't remember. Man, I don't Who know. Knows? Who knows, Joe? Who knows? Too many fights, Every too many week, fights but... to remember. Yeah, there's definitely something, but I can't remember. Within a year ago, too, where she either took something last minute and then she ended up winning and doing it, but I guess not. Could be couple, totally confused. A couple of news and notes. We're just going to do some quick hits here. Chandler says that Justin Gaethje has no interest in fighting him. Do you, if you were just, Justin Gaethje, would you take a fight with Chandler? Um, yes and no. I, I think he Gaethje wants title contention, right? And with Chandler, you know, not winning the interim belt, I don't know. I think he, I think Gaethje wants the shot, probably. What about but Gaethje I, versus Makhachev? 
I think I think Gaethje, I like that, but I think Gaethje will probably pick Chandler over Makhachev, no? Yeah, maybe. And I mean, Ali manages both Makhachev and Gaethje, so who knows? Yeah. He would want to stay away from... He wants I to wonder both what Gaethje's holding top. off for. What do you think? I don't know. He hasn't fought in a, like a year almost. I guess his last fight would have been against Khabib. What was that, last October? Yeah, and he's not going to get uh, the title shot next, so no. he's got to probably fight a number one contender Benil's, fight. Benil's sitting out the year. Uh, you got Poirier, who's almost, who's definitely going to face Oliveira next. So then, who else is left, right? Like, so you just sit there and he, does he wait? Maybe. You know, I, not maybe. bad idea. He yeah. bangs out every time he fights. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a guy that should be rewarded <laughs> for how he fights for sure. Yeah. So maybe the time off will be good for him. And I don't know who else though who would make sense for him. I can't believe Dariush is sitting at three now though. That's 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 really good on him, man. Really kind of snuck his way up there. Well, he beat Ferguson, right? So. Yeah, I don't know who Justin Gaethje would face. Honestly, I, I don't know if there's a, a very good uh, a very good matchup there for him. Maybe that's why he's sitting out. He's just waiting for the right thing. But Chandler would be the one that makes the most sense to me. I mean, Chandler's the only other guy in the top five. Yeah, no, as the way it sits, yeah, it sh- basically should be. All right, well, well, we'll have to see how that plays out. I think that's a fight they should really try to make. That would be an incredible fight. But uh, yeah, I don't want to see him that much lo- out longer. You know, he's too exciting mm-hmm. to to be on the sideline for so long. I'm with you. Uh, all right. Do we have anything else that we want to get to? International Fight Week will be uh, UFC 266. They uh, are doing International Fight Week in September this year, Joe. So uh, that's uh-huh. one change. It's They're usually July, right? Usually July. This this time around, it's going to be uh, in September, and they're going to have a contender series uh, scheduled for that week. They're going to have the Hall of Fame and all the other fun stuff that comes along with International Fight Week. Uh-huh. Great card, headlined uh, by... Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Ortega. You got the uh, Nick Diaz Lawler fight, and uh, you also have a championship fight uh, between um, Lauren Murphy and Valentina Shevchenko on the card. Nice. Plus Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker, Jarzinho Rosenstroik versus Curtis Blades. Great card. Nice. Yeah, I like that. I'm even honestly, I'm excited for next week to have uh, Uriah Hall and Strickland. I'm yeah, excited well, for Strickland's that. One. Trying to find baristas to to train with to get at, sparring. At this moment. Yeah, to get a sparring get, get camp. Some rounds. Yeah, no, I think that's gonna be good. I think we'll see Strickland have a good coming out party that one. I like yeah, it. Yeah, he's a pretty big favorite in that fight. Honestly, that's really surprising. yeah. He's like really? a two to one favorite. That surprises me. Yeah, that pressure, man. I'm telling you, something unique. Yeah, but if you pressure Uriah Hall and he hits you with one of those bombs, <laughs> you're going out. Yeah, but the problem is he needs space to do that. You that's know, true. and I think Strickland, it, like he's just so good at jamming you and keeping in your face it's going to be tough and especially your eye hall's kicks your eye hall's can't kick when someone's pressuring you you know so your eye's got to get his hands going really good and mix his clinch my sneaky good fight on that card is uh hani yaya against kyung ho kong i love that fight that's awesome i gotta see that one And chris dawkins versus shamil abdurrahimov was supposed to be this weekend got moved to that card that's another one i always like watching chris dawkins in action yeah dawkins is fun I like Dacus. All right. That should wrap it up for us, Joe. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We're going to have an interview edition of the show coming out either tonight or tomorrow uh, featuring interviews with uh, the likes of TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen. Nice. All all the big names. Just like every week, Joe. That's it. Boom. And uh, you can go to bazookatraining.com if you want to do some home training with Bazooka Joe Valfellini. And the gym's back open. Yeah, we got back open finally, Mr. Ford. Thank you. Numbers Thank you for your down. nice gesture of letting us open again. Yeah. Uh, no, it's been great. And I'll tell you right now, people are pumped to be back. 
you should see the amount of smiles, the energy, and everyone who came in on the way out says, I need this back. This felt great. So I think people mentally stronger, physically better, just to be part of a community and see people again, it's been a great atmosphere. And I, I don't think it, people are scared. Good fitness. People were very high. I walked by uh, there on my way into the grocery store yesterday, and the treadmills were full, and people were, were going. They were giving her. That's it. Yeah, I don't. I think I'm just happy to see that the government hasn't scared everybody away. So they're back. They're ready to go. People are training. They're motivated. Now it's not even they didn't. What I have to thank the government for is they didn't leave us with this no contact. We're allowed to have contact again. We're allowed to have drills and sparring and pad work and and more than five to ten people in a class. So I mean, it's just a a, a good atmosphere and. I just hope the numbers stay where they are so we can continue to gain momentum and get people back uh, training and feeling good about themselves. All right. Well, if you, if you don't feel like going into the gym, though, bazookatraining.com. Yeah. You're scared? That's fine. Stay home. Watch Bazooka Training. Then when you feel good, head into the physical Not space. About being scared, Joe. Not everybody lives in proximity to your gym. People can go to That's Bazooka it. Training if they're living in, like, uh, Fort McMurray or something. Yeah, and but they can they go the to their gym, experience. and then when they get home, they use Bazooka Training. Oh, that works, too. It's, so they do double, right? Yeah. Yeah. Two training. Exactly. But, and, the, and the membership will only be a fraction of your in-gym membership. Exactly. So you're saving a price too. So look at that. Too many reasons. So All sign right, up. Joe. We'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be breaking down. We'll be recapping this card rather between uh, Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw and previewing Sean Strickland versus Uriah Hall. Thanks for tuning in. Boom. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.